Scripture reading is found in Matthew 24, 36 through 44. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you that when your spirit illumines your word to us, your word brings life and hope and understanding, and we pray that he, your spirit, that he would do that for us today. Amen. So this passage that we've just heard is a portion of scripture that's traditionally read in many churches on the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent, as you, you probably know, the four, are the four weeks that lead up to our celebration of, of Christmas. And as Brian mentioned at the start of the service, um, historically, Advent has been a time when Christians have thought about what God did to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah, the, the birth of Jesus, and then also to think about what God is doing right now to prepare us for that day when the Messiah comes again. And it's that day that Jesus is talking about in this passage. He is telling us very clearly that human history will end with him, with Jesus himself, coming back to judge the world. He refers to this as the coming of the Son of Man. And um, this teaching, of course, raises all kinds of questions like what what will that event be like? When will this happen? Wouldn't that be nice to know? Are there any signs that we should be looking for to kind of know that when this is on the horizon? And um, it's not wrong to ask those questions, and there's, there's, some, uh, there's some information in the Bible about them. But for the most part, the Bible really does not tell us very much that would help us answer questions like that. In fact, uh, you may have noticed what Jesus said in verse 36. He, he said, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And I guess what he meant is that there, there are details of that, of that final day that were hidden even from Jesus himself in his in incarnation, in his, in his human nature. So if that's the case, you and I, we should not be surprised if all the questions we might have about the return of Christ, if they're not all answered for us in the Bible, okay? But what I'd like to do this morning is I, I, I would like to focus on a question that is answered for us, 
A, qu- a question about which Jesus really does give us some important information. And, and the question is this. Since Jesus is coming back, what are the implications of that for us right now? How should, how should that shape the way we approach life today? So since he's coming back, what are the implications? And I would suggest from this passage two, two implications, and here they are. The first is this. Since Jesus is coming back, nothing that you are doing today is quite as important as you think it is. All right? No, nothing is quite as important as, we, as it seems to us. So here's what Christ says, verse 37 to 39. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, he's referring, of course, to that ancient story. You read it in the book of Genesis of, of God's destruction of, of the ancient world through a flood because of, because of human sin. And, and he's saying that, you know, he's saying on the day that the flood came, people all over the world were engaged in activities that at the moment seemed very, very important to them. So some of them were, were thinking about their physical needs, what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink. Some of them were focused on more social concerns, marrying, giving in marriage. So Jesus said, when that, when that moment in history happened all over the world, people, people were engaged in activities that, that they viewed as being very, very important. And then it started to rain, right? And uh, by the end of the day, it didn't really matter what they had for dinner that night, right? It didn't matter if the wedding gown fit or didn't fit correctly, right? Just, oh, in, in other words, he's saying that the advent of the judgment of God on, on the world, it just placed every human endeavor in a position of secondary importance. And Christ says that's how it will be when he returns. Nothing that we get all worked up about, or get all happy about, or get all angry about, or get all worried about. Nothing will really seem that important anymore. So I wonder, uh, what did you get angry about this week? I was assembling IKEA furniture yesterday. <laughs> you know what I got angry about, right? Or, or what recently has kept you awake at night because you're worried about it? Or, or what have you purchased lately that when you brought it home, you just felt so happy to have this? Now, listen, it's not, it's not wrong to experience those emotions. It's not, it's not wrong to, to be involved in those things. But a, a question that we ought to be kind of asking ourselves continually is, how, how will this moment in time appear to me when Jesus comes back again? Will it really be that important? Verse 40 and 41, he says this, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. And, and you know, Bible interpreters are not exactly sure what he's talking about here. Are, are, the people, are the people who are taken, is he saying that these are people who are taken out of the world so that they are spared God's judgment? Or are, is he talking about people, people being taken by judgment, like the people in Noah's day were taken? And he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't clarify, but his point, is, it's, it's the same either way. He's saying that when he returns in an instant, instantly, 
all of humanity will be divided into two, into two groups. Those who will face God's judgment and those who, because they, they've turned to the Son and trusted the Son, will be spared God's judgment. And in that moment, the only thing that will matter is which group are you in? Are these two guys in the field, what, what are they doing? You know, maybe, maybe one of them is a wealthy landowner. He owns the field. The other guy is just his servant, his hired hand. But when Christ comes back, it, that, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is which, which group is each man in? Or these women who are grinding together, what are they, what are they talking about? Are they worried about, about paying their bills? Are they worried about some, some, some argument? You know, it, it, when, when, when one comes back, it doesn't matter anymore. There, there, isn't that something to think of? There is, there is a time, a moment in time that is approaching us. Every day it gets closer. And when that moment arrives, the only thing that will matter are, are we ready to meet the Son? So, implications. One implication of this is, since Jesus is coming back, nothing you're doing today is quite as important as you think. Now, paradoxically, the second implication is, since Jesus is coming back, everything you're doing today is far more important than you think. Here's what he says, verse 42 to 44. He says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, he says, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So, Christ here, he's saying, listen, you don't know when I'm coming back. I'm not going to tell you. In fact, he was saying, I couldn't even tell you. You don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but he, but he says, here's what you do know. You need to be ready. Now, if you take that seriously, the question you want to ask is, okay, what does it mean to be ready? How would I know if I'm, I'm ready? Um, I was reading this week that back, back in the mid-1800s, there was a, an American preacher named William Miller, um, just kind of, a, I was from upstate New York, and William Miller did some extensive study in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, and he determined that Jesus would return on October 23, 1844. And for years, he preached this all over the country in camp meetings, all, all throughout the uh, upstate New York and the Midwest, and thousands and thousands of people believed him. They, they called themselves the Millerites because of Reverend Miller, right? And so um, as that day approached, October 23, 1844, all across America, people sold all their possessions, gave everything away. Many of them dressed in white robes, and wherever they lived, they climbed the highest hill or mountain near their house, or if there wasn't one, they climbed the tallest tree just to be ready. Here I am, Jesus, when you come. Now, wouldn't that be so weird to look out your window and there's the neighbors, right? They're all in white robes. They're climbing. Why are they climbing that tree? But that's, this actually happened in this country. And, of, of course, poor Reverend Miller, he had the wrong date. But even if, listen, even if he had been correct, is that what it means to be ready for Jesus? Is, is that what he's calling us to? Some kind of just outlandish, supernatural, hyper-religious, extreme behavior. That's what it means to be ready. Listen, um, the answer to that is no, that's not what he's looking for. And so if you, in today's passage, if you just read on the rest of Matthew 20, 
4, and then on all of Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, after he says, be ready, he immediately launches into this series of parables and teachings in which he explains, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I mean by being ready. And if you, if you, if you go home and you read those passages, you'll see that he is not acting. He doesn't want you to climb up a tree, all right? That's, that's not involved in this. So, so what, is, what is, if you were to study those, that following passage, what does Jesus say it means to be ready? Well, first, the end of Matthew 24, he tells a parable about a servant who has been assigned by the master to feed all the other servants in the home. And he, and he says, that servant will, will be said to be ready if, when the master comes home, he just finds him serving those other people around him. He's just like, that's a picture of what I mean, be ready. Just, I, I think what he means by, by that is, is to be ready for Christ's return, it means that you are faithfully serving the needs and concerns of, of those people whom God has placed in your circle of care. Who, who are the people God has placed in your circle of care? It would include your family, your children if you're a parent, your, your, maybe your elderly parents if you have those might include the people that live on, on the floor of your apartment building or in, on, on your neighbors, just people that God has placed in your life. Who is it that God has assigned you to be concerned for? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 26, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so, caring for these people when he returns. So that's one picture of what it means to be ready. Then if, if you read on, beginning of Matthew 25, he tells another parable, and it's about a group of young women who have, uh, they've, they've gone to a wedding feast, and they, eat, they each have a lamp, and they have been assigned to wait for the arrival of the bridegroom and to light their lamp when he comes so that he can enter, you know, to all this light. And the ones who are ready, Jesus says, are the ones who bring enough oil with them so that no matter how long it takes that guy to show up at the wedding, when he comes, their lamps are still burning. That's an interesting story, isn't it? I, th I, think, I think what he's saying, here, he's saying, here's what it means to be ready for me. It means you begin to long for my return. You begin to trust me as your Savior. Have you done that yet? You, you begin to trust me as your Savior, and then you just refuse to give up. You lock in for the long haul. I'm going to keep trusting Jesus on the good days, on the bad days, on the days when I'm doing well, on the days when I'm not doing well. I'm, going to, I'm just going to make sure I have my oil never runs out. I'm going to keep trusting him until he comes back again. So that's another picture of what it means. Then, then he gives another story. He, um, you may have heard this story. It's the story, sometimes it's called the parable of the talents. And the story is there's this master, and he calls his servants in, and he gives each of them some bags of gold. You know, they don't all get the same amount, but they get, they get some of the master's money, and, the, and they are told to go out into the world and just put those resources to work until the master comes back again. And, and again, in that story, the ones, the ones who are ready are the ones who are diligent. They, uh, they don't do anything spiritual. They don't do anything, you know, religious. They just go to work. They go out, they go out and with, where what the master has given them, they put it to work in the world until he comes back again. And he, the idea there is being ready for the return of Christ. It means, listen, it means serving your master faithfully in whatever calling he has placed on your life. What, what, what calling has God Placed on you? Where, where, where has he called you to serve? Maybe you're a teacher, or maybe you're a student. 
Maybe you're a parent or an office worker or a bus driver or an artist. You, you know what? The Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in Colossians chapter 3. He said this, whatever you do, work at Walmart, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord. I, uh, I often go jogging over on Roosevelt Island. Um, it's not far from my house. And those of you who've gone there, you know that the, the only way by foot to get to Roosevelt Island, you cross the, the, the little bridge off of 36th Avenue. And then to get onto the island, you have, to, you have to go down through the parking garage. And so I've been jogging there for years. And, and uh, there's a man who works in the parking garage who I have uh, come to know. He's become a friend of mine. And uh, his name is Peter. Peter, he's a Christian man. He's probably late 60s. He's, uh, he's from the Caribbean, speaks with this beautiful Caribbean accent. And Peter's job is to sweep and mop the floor in the parking garage. Not a dream job, right? Here, here's what's, I love this man, Peter. He, first of all, I've never seen him leaning on his broom. I've never seen him slacking off. Every time I see him, he is hard at work. And... He's always singing. That's how I met him. I heard him singing these. You hear him singing these old-time hymns. You know, "Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." He's just always worshiping while while he works. And everyone who ever walks past him to go get their car in the parking garage, he always he just encourages people all day long. He just he greets them, and and everyone is bossman to him. Bossman, have a great day. Bossman, it's good to see you. Bossman, I'm so happy for you. I'm glad to see you. Every everyone he 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 encourages. That's the, I've seen him do this for years, always working hard, worshiping while he works, encouraging everyone around him. Now, Peter is not an important man in New York society, is he? He doesn't have a, doesn't have a rewarding job. He sweeps a parking garage. But when Jesus Christ come back, comes back again, you know what he will say to my friend Peter? You know what he'll say? It's written right in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. He will say this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what it means to be ready. You serve God in your calling. Martin Luther King said this. He says, he said, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven comp composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. So these, you see, these are all things that Jesus says. This is what it means to be ready. It, it, it's like a household servant that just cares for the people around him. The kids need breakfast, I'll give them breakfast. Just, just loves the people that God has placed in his life. It, it, it's, it's like a young woman who, who has such a, a longing for the, the, the coming of the bridegroom that no matter how long it takes, she just keeps trusting, waiting, keeps that lamp burning. Or it says it's like, a, it's like a servant who's entrusted with his master's resources, has a certain calling, and he just... He goes out there and he does his job well. That's, isn't that interesting? This is what Jesus says it means to be ready. None, none of those things sound very religious, do they? They're super spiritual. And then, I'll close with this. At the very end of Matthew 25, Jesus gives this one 
crystal clear teaching. He says, in case you missed my point, this is what I'm talking about. This is what it means to be ready for my return. And here's what he says. Starting at verse 31 of Matthew 25, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the inheritance prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You know, the Greek word stranger is xenos, like xenophobia. It means foreigner. It means immigrant. Jesus says, I was an immigrant, and you made me feel welcome. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That's what he'll say to those on his right. And then he'll turn to those on his left, the unrighteous, and he'll say, basically, no, you saw me in the, those exact same situations. Hungry, sick, needing clothing, and you, you didn't help. And then Jesus says, both those on the right and those on the left, both the sheep and the goats, both the righteous and the unrighteous, they'll all turn to Jesus and say, what are you talking about? We don't even know what you're talking about. When did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever see you thirsty? When did we ever hear that you were sick? When did we ever see you? And he says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, or did not do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did and did not do for me. That's something. That's what Jesus says. That's what it means to be ready. It means you, 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 um, you're so convinced that the kingdom is coming, you live as if it's already here. You, you live out the values of God's kingdom. You show God's mercy and kindness to the least of his children who are around you. So, you see what I mean, that these two implications, it, it, I know it's, it doesn't sound like it made sense, but the fact that Christ is coming again, it means, first of all, nothing you're doing today is as important as you think it is. Hmm? It's all temporary. But everything you do, every day, is far more significant in the eyes of heaven than we can ever possibly dream Every, every cup of cold water given in, in Christ's name, every sin in your life that you put to death out of obedience to his word, every prayer voiced in the darkness, perhaps with tears running down your cheek, but, but you just refuse to stop trusting, you refuse to stop waiting. Every song of praise sung not only on the good days, but also on the really bad days. Listen, since Jesus is coming back again, everything, matters. Dorothy Day, um, who started the Catholic Workers Movement, uh, she was a, a young woman who came to Christ in her, in her 20s and, and just dedicated her life to serving the needs of people around her. Here, here's what she wrote in her memoir. She said, most of our life is unimportant, filled with trivial things from morning till night, but when it is transformed by love, it is of interest even to angels. 
So you also, Jesus said, must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect it. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back again. Thank you that you will come and bring your kingdom. We pray that you would give us grace to trust you, to love you, to live for you, to serve you with the joyful thought that we will be ready for your return. In your name, amen. One of the most important things that we can do being Christian is participate at the Lord's table. Because it's here we are reminded that we are loved and we are his beloved, that we are the children of God. And with that, all the implications that Pastor David preached are true. Your work is important because Christ is coming back and he will long to see what you've done. But we also don't have to worry or fret because Christ will take care of us. And so we need not worry either. Those two paradoxes are true and we live in it. So please stand as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is always right and proper in our moral duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the inhabitants of heaven, we honor and adore your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord most high. Please be seated. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples as I ministering in his name give this bread to you. And he said, take, eat. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup, and after he had given thanks, it's been done in his name, he gave this cup to his disciples, and he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Pray with me. Father, help us to see your glory and to see your wonder. As we take the ordinary elements of bread and wine, may we experience your grace and your love. And may we also cry out to you for you to return, for that is our deepest hope and our desire, to see you face to face and to hear the affirming words that come from your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our ushers are going to dismiss you row by row, so please wait there. And then you'll form two lines, and then you'll take the bread, and you'll take uh, the um, grape juice. 
And you'll take the elements up here and then leave the empty cups there and then return back to your seats. We'll also be singing, so um, please meditate on the song or if you feel led to do so, please sing along as well. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God come and eat and drink with thanksgiving. hymn will be coming from hymn 324, Christ is coming. Hymn 324, Christ is coming. <laughs> 